I'm excited to be here this morning. I, my topic, I'm in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, and my topic is contentment beyond circumstances. And contentment is a beautiful thing when you see it. You know it when you see it, and when you see it, you're drawn to people that are content. One summer when I was in college, I got the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Africa. Actually, we were in Nairobi, Kenya. And some, an interesting thing about that city is as we were driving through, about one third of that giant city is just slums. The worst, the most horrible slums that you can imagine. Sewage running through these places where people are living. People living literally in basically as a cardboard box. And one thing we did on our mission trip was visit a school where some missionaries provided funds and some people, some people that they paid to teach these, these kids that they ate their only meal of the day at this school. That was fun. And so uh, we got to visit this school and play games with the kids. And what I noticed was this was the most, the most horrible situation that you could imagine. It was stinky. It was dangerous. It was sad. The whole situation was sad. But what I noticed on those kids' faces was not sadness. It was joy. Because they had life in Christ. What I noticed on the workers' faces was not, oh, this place stinks. (laughs) It was joy. It was love for the kids that they were loving on. And it got me thinking, maybe contentment goes beyond our circumstances. Maybe there's more than just the externals to contentment. And it turns out I was right. The Bible said so. First Timothy 6, 6, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So what's the secret of being content? Actually, the apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I'm gonna read it, read the whole passage here. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13. Join me in praying one more time. Father, we need your grace to understand this passage more fully. And I need your grace to proclaim the truth that you are the only thing that gives us contentment in life. So give me the courage and give me the words to say. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So imagine what your life would be like if you were completely content. How would your life be different if you were completely content with your life? You would be free. You would have joy. You would just be chilling. You would have a good life. And the people that are the most content are also the most joyful. Um, the problem is our culture hates contentment. Our, 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 the media actually feeds you not to be content. You can't turn on a TV commercial, a set of series of commercial, which now we all fast forward to them, but um, you, you can't watch a TV commercial without something on, you need more money for retirement, to, to feed into the fears of the, your lack of financial stability. You can't open Facebook without a distant friend um, blogging or posting about how much, they, how much money they're making by hanging out and selling webinars. Come do my webinar, and you can just hang out in your pajamas all day and make buku bucks, just like me. All right, okay. 
it's really hard to find a truly content per- person in our, co- our culture. Because we're Americans, right? We're always going for the next thing. But a contentment person is a beautiful person. It's someone that, that is attractive to the world, to other people. And there's two big contentment killers. The first one is comparison kills contentment. Comparison will kill your contentment. Most of us are familiar with the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Well, I just bought a new house and it's an amazing blessing. That's a whole story in itself, how God provided the house. But I've got to experience this firsthand. Um, Let's take a look at my next door neighbor's lawn. Ooh, isn't that nice? Okay, and now let's take a uh, look at my lawn. See, it's 110 degrees. <laughs> if it, when every, I'm, to be honest, I love the blessing of my house, but every time I pull up to my house, I'm a little annoyed by my neighbor. <laughs> okay? What does this guy do to his grass? What steroids does he pump in there? I don't know. It's, it's crazy. But there's something about that. I have this beautiful house that the Lord provided. If he wasn't there, I would just be content with my, with my lawn. <laughs> Comparing yourself with others will kill your contentment in life. See, if you compare, two things happen. Either you get depressed, like I am about my grass, <laughs> or you get impressed with yourself. It leads to a sinful form of pride. Both are dangerous to your spiritual health. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. If you're not careful... This device will kill your contentment because you can have an average day, a great day. You went to work, you got off, you're chilling. You have a weekend camping trip coming up. You're super pumped about it. You open up Facebook and you see your buddy and his wife just got back on a two-week trip to Europe. Whoa, Eiffel Tower. Oh, Italy. Oh, man. All of a sudden, your weekend camping trip doesn't sound as epic, right? And and so that's the thing. We have a problem, is often we compare other people's highlight reels with our behind the scenes. We compare, when we go to church, we put on our best clothes and we try to look our best. On Facebook, everything's designed to make you look good. But the reality is, everyone's struggling. Everyone's way more messed up than, than they want you to know. And at the end of the day, comparison is rooted in pride. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. So to overcome um, comparison, you have to learn to celebrate the successes of others and to be thankful for the blessings that God's given you. The next thing that will kill your contentment in life is covetousness, covetousness. Um, I always kind of found it funny that covetousness, thou shalt not covet, made it into one of the 10 commandments. Because when I thought about it, coveting something is not as bad as killing someone. Okay, I just said, I'm a simple guy. It's actually pretty hard to do too. It's hard not to covet. Anyone tried that? It's, it's not hard not to. It's our natural tendency. So why did God put covetousness, thou shalt not covet, in the Ten Commandments? I think because he knew that if we were not content and we were coveting what others had and we were greedy, it would lead to the other sins in the Ten Commandments. Stealing, 
lying, adultery, murder. And you may be thinking, well, this is great. All this talk about contentment is great, but you don't know my salary, Paul. If I just had $10,000 more a year, I would be good. I would be set. That is a dangerous way to think. Because most people would only be content if they just, if you ask most people, what would it take for you to be content? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And the thing about a little bit more is there's always a little bit more. (laughs) And so you're never quite content. Sure, I would want to raise just with the rest of us, okay? Who wouldn't want to raise? Okay, good. But if you think a raise is going to solve your contentment problems, you have a, you have a serious lack of perspective. Because I, I once heard a story from a pastor friend of mine that I really respect. Some people were going to a great church like this. They were growing. They were involved in training programs. They were serving in ministry. God was really working in their lives. And they got a job offer across the country to Alaska. Wow, we could be in the nature. And it was $20,000 more a year. That's a big raise, right? I'd be happy with that. You know, and, and so they thought, well, it must be God's will. It must be God's. The pastor, he, they got advice and they thought about it. They looked at, around in the community and there wasn't very many healthy churches there. And they, they thought, well, there's some good churches and we'll go see what we can do to serve. And the pastor said, my advice to you is stay here, take the pay cut and invest in ministry. Make that your priority. And they said, let me pray about that. And they spent 20 years later and over the course of time, their marriage started having issues because they weren't really plugged into church. They weren't really growing in their walk with God. And then turns out their kids started walking away from Christ. There was just that little separation, one degree of separation from where they're being obedient to Christ. And they, they met up with the pastor about 20 years later and they said, I would trade anything in the world to make that decision again. I would trade anything in the world to make, take that pay cut in order to be in a place where I'm gonna serve and grow in my walk with God. I wanna put Christ first. And he'd already made a lot of damage, but a lot of people are caught up in the covetous pursuit of more. And the Bible says that leads to many, many pains. First Timothy 6, it says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-10. I want you to circle a phrase in there. It's those who want to get rich. Now, there's nothing wrong with being successful and making money, but it's when that desire to get rich trumps your desire to honor Christ. That's when you're in danger. Jesus put it even more bluntly. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice back in 1 Timothy, where it says, they wandered from the faith. Find that little phrase, wandered from the faith. It's, it's not all of a sudden, not, oh, I don't believe in God anymore. It's a seemingly justifiable drift towards putting money over God's kingdom. It's a seemingly justifiable, well, I got to take care of my family. 
But at what point does that end and living by faith begin? Yes, we need to be good stewards, but we're also called to live by faith. Don't be a sellout. Don't be someone that, that chooses to put money over God in your life. That's my plead with you. Don't be the kind of person that puts the covetous pursuit of more over pursuing Christ in your life. Now, money's not a bad thing. Money's not evil. It's a tool that we can be used for a lot of good. But at the end of the day, you are gonna have to decide who you're serving. Are you serving yourself? Are you serving money? Or are you serving God? Anyone in here heard of Tom Brady? Okay, I'm not a fan, but um, he's one of the most hugely successful football players in the world. And uh, I came across this little video about his life. Let's check it out for a minute. Tom Brady, the quarterback of the New England Patriots, is not only one of the NFL's best players, he's one of the NFL's great stories. At the tender age of 30, he has already won three Super Bowls, an accomplishment that ranks him with some of the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And he's having one of the greatest seasons in pro football history. When we first reported on it back in 2005, he seemed underrated and almost overlooked. He doesn't have the arm of Peyton Manning, he doesn't have tattoos, and he doesn't take steroids, and he's never held out for more money. All he knows how to do is win. <laughs> That's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. In addition to his success on the field and his sex appeal often, there is also the $60 million 10-year contract to play with the Patriots. You know, I'm making more money now than I ever thought I could ever make playing football. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is... Me, I think God, it's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. This world says they have the answers. They say that success will bring you contentment. And even guys like Tom Brady are saying, I wish I knew. I wish I knew what the more was. And let me tell you, Tom, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast or something, <laughs> I know. I know the truth. I know what the more is that you're looking for. It's Christ. 1 Timothy 6, 21, it says, some of these people have missed the most important life thing in life. They don't know God. You can have everything the world has to offer, but if you, have, if you don't have God, you don't have anything. So that leads me to my point. My next point is, Christ is the only true source of contentment. Let's take another look at our passage. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content. What's your secret, Paul? 
It's Christ. It's First Corinthians, it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, most of us have heard this passage before, and most of us have heard it slightly out of context. Tim Tebow put it on his eye black. Um, Steph Curry writes it on his basketball shoes, thinking, I can win. I can do all things by making every single weird three he shoots. Um, however, this verse is not about feats on the field or the gym. It's not even about accomplishing your, your dreams, your wildest dreams. It's about contentment beyond your circumstances. You see, Paul was in prison when he wrote this passage. He was in the worst possible circumstances you can imagine, but he still had joy. He still had contentment. So actually, Curry needs this verse more when he loses than before the game, okay? <laughs> Which probably won't happen anytime soon. I love, I, there's a phrase in there. He's saying, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Notice that in the passage. Look at your passage. And it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's basically saying, I'm good. I'm good. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Okay. The gift, because people were su supporting his ministry. The gift is nice, right? But it's not needed. Our blessings are, are good, they're great, but they're not what we're looking for. Our blessings are bonus, if you, if you will. One reason people become discontented is they start to confuse the supply with the source. They start to look, they start to look for the things that God has supplied them with to give them contentment, to give them security, when really they need to be looking to the source who supplies all our needs. Christ is the only thing that will fulfill your deepest needs. The truth is, Jesus is infinitely worthy and valuable. He is all you need. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, it says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. I want you to circle the phrase surpassing greatness if you're taking notes. There's everything the world has to offer down here. And then there's Christ. He is a surpassing greatness. I cannot over-exaggerate how satisfying and how good Christ is. He is supremely satisfying. And so I'm challenging you. I want to encourage you. Don't settle for anything less than experiencing Christ on a daily basis. And when you think about Jesus and what he did for us, it makes sense. He died on the cross for, in your place for your sins. He rose from the dead. He's given you, your past has been completely forgiven. If you're a Christian, every single sin you've ever committed has been wiped out forever. If you're a Christian, you have been adopted into the family of God. You are a child or, da or daughter of God. If you're a Christian, you have a purpose worth living for, worth dying for, you have the greatest cause on earth, which is getting the gospel out to the ends of the earth. If you're a follower of Christ, you have an eternal home waiting in heaven. What more do you need? What more do you need? You see, Christ is enough. Sometimes we don't really realize that Jesus is all we need until he's all we have. Because Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He had nothing but Christ. 
He was alone. He was chained to a guard. He was beaten. He had festering sores on his body. He was in the, the most, the worst possible place. But he said, Christ is enough. I can do all things through Christ. You see, contentment is not about mind games. Counting your blessings is good, but it's not your blessings that count. It's Christ that counts. Contentment is not trying to trick yourself into being happy. Contentment is a fundamental shift of your perspective and your priorities in life. Contentment is choosing Christ over everything else in life. It's not about pleasing God so you can get on, him, on his goodies, on his blessings. It's about knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus is the goal of the Christian life. Knowing Jesus on a progressively deeper and deeper level. So that's a question I have for everyone in here. Do you know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? And if you have, you would understand what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. He's trying to say that knowing Christ is the joy that will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. See, I've been trying to put myself in Paul's shoes. And I, I realize the reason he can have contentment is because he's lost in a story that's bigger than himself. God has given, gave Paul a mission to spread the gospel to all the known world. And this, part, this season in prison was just a part of the plan. And so when you're lost in God's grand story to redeem all the lost in the world, your petty problems don't matter as much anymore. For the last seven years, Christy and I have struggled with an issue where her back actually went out and has got out of whack when we had Owen, our, our son, and she's basically been stuck in her chair 24-7. She can get up for about 15 minutes a time, at a time and do, do things around the house. And, and she's at church today. Hey, honey. Um, and honestly, it's been a grinding situation for us. It's been seven years of pursuing every single medical thing we could come up with. I pray every day for that, or try to. I try, I pray, and it looks like as of right now, that there's not an answer to the problem. It looks like we're stuck with it. But you know what God, God's done? God has drawn Christy and I closer to each other. And he's also, most importantly, drawn us closer to himself. And for that, I'm grateful. I still pray for it. I still want to pursue any medical option. But at the end of the day, Christy and I, we're happy. We're content. We are ready to go for the rest of life serving Christ together. And you may, people sometimes ask me, how? How do you do this? And the answer is, I don't know, honestly. <laughs> but I do know I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ's power is at work, helping us in the midst of struggle. Christ's power has more than, he has more than enough power to enable us to live the life that he's called us to live and to have joy and peace and contentment. This world is not heaven. Every, everything doesn't have to be perfect for you to have joy and peace in your life. Jesus promised this in John 6, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. 
In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Life is not about comfort or convenience. It's about Jesus. It's about advancing his mission, and it's about being lost in his great story to save those that have never heard. This leads me to my final key for contentment. Is true contentment is only found in context of total commitment to Christ. Contentment is only found in total, unreserved commitment to Christ. Because we're creatures of commitment. How many of you have gotten fit by working out once a week? Okay, I want to get your story, <laughs> you know. How many of you have gotten out of debt by just trying to do a little better with your finances? No. Okay. Jesus calls us to total commitment to him. It's the only way the Christian life works is giving your life unreservedly, totally to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, he will infuse purpose and power and joy and contentment in your life. So don't live another day that's not totally surrendered to Jesus. It's easy for us to separate our, the stories of the Bible, like the Apostle Paul in prison, as like a galaxy far away, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far away. It's like, they're like, you almost see them, sometimes I read them as like legends or fables, but no, Paul was a real person that experienced a real risen Christ. And when you compare the commitment of the Apostle Paul with my commitment, I'm a little embarrassed. But as I was studying this passage, I came to a realization that I am called to the same level of commitment as the Apostle Paul. I have a different calling, but I have the same call to commitment that Paul had. You can't have the commitment of Paul, you can't have the contentment of Paul without the commitment of Paul. You won't have the, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength without the commitment to give your life completely to Christ. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Honestly, you're either committed to Christ or you're not. There's no, hey, can I get the B-level package of, of Christianity? Can I get that, that package? I, I don't think I'm quite ready for the A-level. The only way the Christian life works is when you step in fully, you're all in. You've chosen, I've, I've burned the bridges, I've burned the ships, I'm in. I'm following Jesus. Mark 8, 35. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news, will ever know what it means to really live. So if you want to live a life that's truly content, first you must reject comparison and covetousness. Next, you need to embrace Christ as your source of contentment. And lastly, you want to surrender your entire life to following Jesus. And I promise you, if you do those things, you will have contentment beyond your circumstances. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the Bible, for letting us get a, a peek into what you're doing in the life of the Apostle Paul in these, in these verses. Thank you 
for showing us that there is contentment beyond circumstances. Thank you for showing us that we can follow you with reckless abandon and trust you, trust you to provide for our needs. So I pray for everyone in here that we would take our next step, that we would surrender ourselves completely to you and trust you fully. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.